So reading from John chapter 5, verses 16 to 47, which is found on page 1068, 1068. Yep, John chapter 5, starting at verse 16. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath... The Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defence, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favour, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved." John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his words dwell in you, for you do do not believe the one he sent." You study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me, but if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. 
your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Thanks, Luke, for reading that. It's a long reading we've got tonight, so well done for keeping up with that. We'll get into it in just a second. Is that a bit taller? But let me ask you, before we get into that, do you know this guy? His picture's going to come up on the screen. Don't know if you recognize him. Perhaps no reason you should. His name's John, though. Um, He's a father of four. He's from Blacksburg, Virginia. Thing is, thing is, his full name's John Lewis, uh, and his Twitter account is at John Lewis. So those of you who know Twitter and the way it works, you can imagine the kind of things that happen, can't you? I mean, if your Twitter account is at John Lewis, if you've been to John Lewis and something didn't go right, and you're on Twitter, I wonder who you complained to. It might have been this guy. Uh, You might have sent a tweet to John Lewis. Lots of people have. I mean, millions of people send him tweets. You can imagine the kind of things that happen. Complaints and questions get tweeted to him. Because people think he's the other John Lewis, that he's the shop. And sometimes he responds. Here's one of my favorites. If you, the tweet at the bottom, at the bottom of the screen, is what somebody wrote. Craig Risebury wrote this. I'm currently in the Wolverhampton at John Lewis, and staff member Amanda is being very rude. Any suggestions? John Lewis in Blacksburg, Virginia, responded, If you mean my wife's cousin, Amanda, I find it best to avoid her. And then he copies in the shop at John Lewis Retail. Like, if you want to, there's loads of these online. They're hilarious. He responds. I think John Lewis, the shop, even sent him a big box of presents one year. People are always tweeting this John Lewis, asking him when the new Christmas video is coming out. You know, the little advert that John Lewis do every year. And he sends tweets back, anytime soon, anytime soon, it will be coming out. But that's, look, you know how it works. Uh, you know how it works. Uh, sometimes questions about identity, they generate a bit, of, a bit of fun and a smile, don't they? It's funny when something like that happens. Yeah, you'll know other times it is really not fun at all. So those of you who are, maybe you're at sixth form, maybe you're at school, and one of the guys in your year says, you're a Christian. You're a Christian, aren't you? Are you really saying the only people who know God properly are Christians? And you feel that awkwardness at that point, don't you? It's a question of identity. Are you one of those people? It doesn't have to be a sixth form or school. Maybe it's with a family member who says to you, are you really saying people who believe in Jesus, they know God, but Muslims and Sikhs and Buddhists don't? You really that arrogant? And no one wants to be arrogant, do they? No one wants to be perceived as arrogant. We'd love to be able at that point to tweet a fun reply. But the reason you can't is because of what Jesus says here in the reading that we've just had. Because Jesus is claiming a particular identity. And it's pretty serious, isn't it? You get that when you read verse 18. You've got it in front of you. Verse 18 says this, For this reason they tried, that's the Jewish leaders, for this reason they tried all the more to kill him. That's pretty serious, isn't it? 
Jesus divides opinion. It kicked off beginning of chapter 5. We didn't read it. Uh, You can go back and read it uh, all a bit later. But it kicked off the beginning of chapter 5 because Jesus went to a pool and he encountered a group of people with various disabilities. They used to gather there at the pool. There was reasons why they did that. Read it in the story. But as he walked there, he picked one man and he, he healed him. He told him to pick up his mat. And that caused annoyance. Not because of the miracles so much, but because it was the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath. And God's law said there was no work on the Sabbath. And the Jewish leaders, well, they applied that even to carrying your mat. And so they begin to, well, we're told at the beginning of our reading, they began to persecute Jesus because he was doing things like this. And Jesus' defense, it's provocative to say the least. It's not just It's not just that he contradicts their views, it's how he does it, making a massive claim about his identity. It's there in verse 17. Think of it like a tweet. Have we got this? Are the the headings coming back on, Luke? Is that? Uh, There it is. Think of it like a tweet. At the real Jesus. There's his Twitter account. This is what he tweets out. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. In English, it's just 69 characters. How many did you get on Twitter? It's about 140. It's a short tweet, just a short tweet. But the first century version of the Twitterati go into meltdown because these guys know what he's saying. Because when Jesus describes God as his father and him as the son in a particular way, he means he's God the son. He's equal with God. He's saying that however you've understood God before, now you need to understand this one God is somehow Father and Son. You and I know, don't we? Social media, social media, it is almost useless, isn't it? It's useless. It's useless for anything, conveying any kind of information that needs a bit of thought in any kind of deep way or nuance and argument. Just putting something out on Twitter, it doesn't do very much, or Facebook, or Snapchat, or Instagram, wherever it is used. For something that you need to think about, it's pretty useless. And Jesus would know that. It's useless for anything more than sound bites, and that's not what he wants to give. So he, he gives, in the section we've read, this is the fuller answer. For those of us who are just used to Twitter, who can't handle more than 140 characters, we struggle with this, but stick with it, because... What he's saying is, look, make sure you've got the real Jesus. Loads of people have opinions about him, don't they? You go anywhere, even in our culture, loads of people have opinions about Jesus. But this is him in his own words, telling us he's God. Now, he's not saying he's the Father. The message of the Bible is really clear. There is only one God, not two, not three. But there's been people who've wanted to say this, this one God is sometimes, well, it's sometimes a bit like he puts on a different hat. If you want to think of it that way for a moment, he puts on a different hat. He shows up in a different mode. So sometimes he's the father, and then sometimes he's the son, and then sometimes he's the Holy Spirit. But really, it's just the same person appearing. That's a, that's a terrible illustration, isn't it? Because you're thinking, it's not even a different hat, David. That's the same hat, just in a different way. But I'm hoping, I'm banking on, a rubbish illustration will stick in your mind almost as much as a really good one. But some people think that way. That's, that's what they were saying, that this one God, he just shows up in a different mode. But it's really the same person. But not according to Jesus. You look at verse 20. Jesus says this, 
for the father loves the son and shows him all he does. That would be an odd thing to say if it was the same person, wouldn't it? And then down in verse 30, Jesus says this, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. That's a genuine relationship, isn't it? That's different ways of saying the Father and the Son, they love each other, concerned about the other. There's, a, there's an other person's centeredness to how they operate. And you understand, whatever Jesus means by claiming to be God, he's not meaning he's the Father. Uh, no, the Son and the Father, they are distinct persons. And you've got to keep that clear. But he is saying something huge because what he's saying is that what he's saying is whatever the Father has, whatever the Father has in terms um, of being God, the Son also has those things. Whatever the Father is in, in his Godness, apart from being the Father, the Son also is. And whatever the Son is in Godness, apart from being the Son, the Father also is. Did you really say that? Is that what he says in these verses? Well, let me show you as the conversation unfolds. Just hear what Jesus says. Look, here's how Jesus describes his actions, the kind of things he does, verses 19 to 21. But look at verse 19. Jesus says this, look, I, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. And you might think as you read that, doesn't that just mean that Jesus copies some of the same things that God the Father does? Well, no, you look at the end of verse 19, and you hear what he says. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. You think about all the things there. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does those things. And then you think about Jesus' honor down in verses 22. He says this, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Well, how is the Father honored? Well, he's to be worshipped by all creation. How is the Son to be honored? Well, he's to be worshipped by all creation just as the Father is honored. And then you think about Jesus' words down in verse 24. Just follow with me. Jesus says this in verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes me has eternal life. Except that's not what he says. Is it? You spotted that, didn't you? That isn't what he says. Now you realize what he does say, and it underlines in your mind the undeniable claim that Jesus is making. Now here's what he says. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's a huge claim. Because he's saying to hear Jesus is to hear God. Now you put all that together and you realize Jesus is not saying, look, guys, you misread the tweet. Hashtag apology. He's not saying that at all. He's not saying, well, that'd be a crazy thing to say. He's saying the opposite. No, he's saying, look, in my work, in worship, and in words, you're to relate to me as God. 
Did the Father create the universe out of nothing? The Son also created the universe out of nothing. Does the Father sovereignly rule everything? Well, the Son also sovereignly rules everything. Does the Father have no beginning and no end? The Son also has no beginning or end. Does the Father exist infinitely? The Son also exists infinitely. Because wherever the Father is, the Son also is. How do you explain something like that? I remember one time a Jehovah's Witness uh, person came to my door. Uh, maybe they've done that for you. Maybe you've bumped into them somewhere and talked to them. Uh, coming around the door, wanting to talk to people about their, their views on God. In, in many ways, they put us to shame evangelistically. Talking to people wanting to share what they believe, but they don't believe that Jesus is God. And I remember a conversation with one at the door, and they said to me, we'd exchange names and things, and they said, look, David, Jesus is not God. He's God's son. And as an example, they pointed to their son who was there with them, coming around the doors with them, and they said, look, David, this is my son. He's like me, but he's not me. It makes a good point, isn't it? I stood there with them, and I thought, that makes a good point. And I couldn't put my finger on an answer. They stumped me, standing at the door. You ever have that? You stumped. You want to give an answer. You feel it's not quite right. They got me. Stumped me. Didn't know what to say. So I waffled on a bit. But I kept thinking about it. I've kept thinking about it. Not to win an argument. It's not what this is about, is it? When we're talking about these kind of things, it's not just to win an argument. Hey, I got them but to have a helpful way to answer truly next time. When I'm talking to someone who really is interested in something this kind of deep and thinking it through, so I've got something helpful to say, and next time this is what I'll say. I want to say something like this. Look, you're, you're sort of right. You're sort of right. Your, your, son, your son is not you. And Jesus is not the Father. But what we're like And what God is like is not exactly the same. That's the mistake you're making. And then I want to say, look, your son shares your human nature. You share the same nature. And you know what that's like. You're created and your son's created. You're limited in knowledge and power. Your son's limited in knowledge and power. You're mortal. Your son's mortal. God's son he shares his father's nature too. But that's a divine nature. And that means the son, like the father, is uncreated. And he's unlimited in knowledge and power. And he, like his father, is eternal. And that means whatever the father is, the son also is. So at some point we have to say the God we meet in the Bible has always been the Father eternally loving the Son. That's why the Bible can say to us, God is love. It's what he's always been like. The Father eternally loving the Son. No conflict, no opposition. Jesus is not a rival God displaying different opinions. The Father and the Son, they're distinct persons but they both are fully the one God, one God who is multipersonal. And as we read on in John, these kinds of things, Jesus will also tell us these kind of things are, are also true of the Holy Spirit. One God who is three persons, Father, 
Son, and Holy Spirit, a triunity of persons, or trinity. That's the word we use to explain this. This is why we say it that way. And C.S. Lewis, as you, as you read words like this, C.S. Lewis put it like this about Jesus. He wrote once, I, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. They say things like this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So as you think about Jesus, make sure you've got the real Jesus, the one who says he's God, no wiggle room around that. The eternal Son of the Father. That's who the real Jesus is. But knowing that, knowing he's God, it's not a bare fact. It's, it's not like knowing the Battle of Hastings was 1066 or the Battle of Bannockburn where Scotland beat the English was 1314. You all know that? I mean, when it comes to bare facts, that's a good fact to remember. But this isn't that kind of fact. No, this kind of information, you read this stuff about Jesus, this is the kind of information that's meant to send you into meltdown. It's meant to change your world. If it doesn't do that, if this doesn't throw everything around for you, something's gone wrong, you've not really got hold of it. Because as you hear what Jesus says about himself, we need to make sure we hear what he's saying about about you and me. To hear the message from the real Jesus. As you read John, I mean, almost from the very beginning, from chapter 1, we keep being told Jesus can make God known, and this explains it. Jesus is God the Son. What he does, what he says, all of who he is, is inseparable from the Father. So when you see the character of Jesus and the way he treats people, you're seeing the character of God. When you observe the priorities of Jesus and the things he does, you're observing the priorities of God. When you hear the message of Jesus and the things he says, you're hearing the words of God. Being God, he can show us God. And being the Son, he can reveal that God is Father as well. So remember how this whole incident kicked off. I know we didn't read it, but just try and remember. Jesus... Jesus, on a Sabbath day, went to a pool of water. All sorts of people were gathered round it with various disabilities. And in verses 5 to 8, again, read it later, he picked out one of them and he healed them. That was God doing that. And then he spoke spoke a word, verse 8, and the man was given a new life, just like that. His life turned around completely, given a new life just with a word. That was God doing that. And in verse 14, he told him to stop sinning. That was God doing that. 
Why did he do all that? Why did he heal that man? We're not told, we're not told about any reasons in this man. Jesus just decided to, it seems, to kindly heal him. Picked him and healed him. How did it work? Well, Jesus spoke. The man heard him. And his life changed. And the change was intended, that Jesus intended, was not just a physical fix, fix you up. It was intended to have a moral difference, change the way he related to God, stop sinning. The more you get to know Jesus, don't you? If you found this, the things he does, you realize they're not random. He doesn't do random stuff. There's a reasons for it. It's to reveal something. And so listen to what he explains. Listen to what he explains in the reading we had. Verse 21, if you've got it open in front of you, just have a little look at it as I read it. Verse 21, Jesus says this, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives life, even so the Son gives life. To whom? To whom he is pleased to give it. Why this man? Life in John's gospel, it's eternal life. It's it's a quality of life God, God will rescue people for. People who are very fallen in sin, who deserve God's judgment, but he's come to rescue. Because they earn it. Because they deserve it. Or nothing like that. No, John says, look, just imagine yourself like an invalid with your life ebbing away, sitting at the edge of a pool of water, and no one to help you, nothing to bargain with, and you know some of your problems are self-inflicted, and then someone comes out of the blue and unexpected and gives you a new life. Why would he choose you? Why would he choose you? Done nothing. Done nothing to deserve it. Verse 21. Even so... The Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it to. It's a humbling thing. It wasn't about you. Just his own gracious choice. It's a comforting thing, isn't it, though? He doesn't save you because you've convinced him you're good enough. You try really hard at that, don't you? I do it to convince other people I'm good enough. But there comes a point where you know they're going to find out sooner or later. It's good to know Jesus isn't going to find out anything else. He's not done it because you convinced him you were good enough to deserve it or earn it. It's his own gracious choice. He just chose to do it. It wasn't about you. How does he do it? How does he change lives? How does he he give eternal life to people? That's verse 24, isn't it? Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Why does he give? Why does he give the man at the pool new life with a word? Not really because he wants you to know he can heal people. It's kind of obvious. If he's God, he can do that kind of thing. Of course he can do that. But if that was the point, you'd expect him to do more of that kind of thing. No, Here's the reason. It's because he wants to give you some kind of evidence you can look at. So you can look at it and see it. 
so you can believe him. If he can make an invalid man walk with a word and change his life, then you can believe him when he says, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, so you can believe his word has that kind of power. If he can do that thing, I can trust him with this one as well. I've heard him and I'm going to believe him. Jesus Christ says he's God come to give eternal life through the forgiveness of sin that he purchased at the cross. And if he gives it to you, it won't be because you've earned it or deserved it. It will just be a free gift of his good pleasure. And the way you receive it is just by hearing and believing his words. You've not done that before, even tonight. You trust him and ask him to save you. He says he gives that. And here's what you learn. Here's the message of the real Jesus. He's the God who gives eternal life. But that also means he's the measure of where you are with God. Did you notice as we read, Jesus keeps saying, how you relate to me is how you relate to God. Verse 41, towards the end of the reading, he says this to those who are listening to him. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. How does he know that? Remember back in verse 24? We read these words. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. In verse 39, he says to people, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think uh, that by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Then on in verse 43, I've come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. You hear what he's saying? Our, Our reaction to Jesus is our reaction to God. That's helpful to know. See, that means if you know Jesus, you really do know God. But if your life involves no belief in Jesus, then your life has no belief in God. That's what Jesus calls us to believe. Here's some thoughts just as we draw this to a close. Look, if you're someone who's beginning to find out about Jesus, if you're coming along and finding out about Christian things... I think it's really good to know this. This is helpful because what this is saying to you, if you still feel indifferent to Jesus, then that helps you understand you're really indifferent to God. But it also means that the the moment you start trusting Jesus is the moment you started trusting God and have been given you life. And the moment that you find I love Jesus and I want to live for him, that's the measure of where you're at with God. So keep going. Keep finding out about Jesus. I think it helps us as well when we're talking with our friends. That question we had right at the start, when someone says, do you really believe Jesus is the only way to God? 
we must say yes. We can't mess around. We can't begin to say, well, it depends what you mean by that. When someone asks us those kind of questions, we must say yes, and they may go into meltdown. But you could try and follow up with something like this. We do want to be sensitive and not just be awkward. You could say, look, yes, uh, he is the only way to God, but can I tell you why? And can I tell you why it's a good thing if you find out what he's like? Those kind of conversations are awkward, aren't they? Verse 39, you know when Jesus says to people, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. It would be even worse, wouldn't it? If we were people, it would almost be worse. If we were people who knew the scriptures, and yet when people asked us, we steered them away from Jesus. We closed the door to life for them because we were worried about being persecuted or given a hard time. We must tell people yes. And then finally, in terms of us growing as a Christian, growing as a Christian must always have a Christ-centered faith. Hearing about the God who is made known in the face of Jesus Christ, that's the way we're to grow. To grow into the one who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and made known in Jesus. Let's pray.